Hi, everybody. I'm Joshua Danziger. And I'm Ethan Canfield. Today is Thursday, April 29th. And this is The Young Perspective, where we talk about America's biggest political and social dilemmas from the eyes of two high schoolers. Welcome back, everybody, to another episode of The Young Perspective. This happens to be the first episode of season four, our 61st episode. Uh, we've been doing this for a little over a year and four months. Um, it's been some, some good times. We just took a three or four week break. We tried to line up some guests. Some guests fell through. Um, but nonetheless, we have prepared a great episode for you today. And we're going to be talking about the recent census results, what happened with the 2020 census, apparently there are now 331 million people in the U.S. Before we get into the results, what is the census and what happened? Every 10 years, the U.S. has its Census Bureau, and they go out and they track the populations and data and basically everything the government needs to know and demographics about its people. And they go to every state and they figure out what's the population, who lives where, who lives what, and they basically now have this massive project that takes really 10 years to plan out and then one year to actually execute. And that happens every 10 years. And that happened this past year in 2020. And so the 20 cent, in 2020, the Census Bureau officially counted their population and other demographics of our country. So I believe this is the 24th census. And to really understand the scale of the census, how we come to counting 331 million people, well, the best way to look at it is to look at the size of the Census Bureau. So in the average year, the average non-census year, the Census Bureau uh, employs 4,200 staff. In 2020, they, have attempt- they had attempted to hire and they had hired 500,000 people as temporary wow. staff. Half of a million people. That's like, that's like 0.2% of the country's population. That's huge. I'd like to count that. Uh, someone check that math that Josh just said. I'm not sure about that. No, it's something <laughs> huge. I know it's, I think it's 0.2 or 0.3. Anyway, it, is, it is a big number. Anyway, but why do we do the, 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 the census? Why do we have to have a census? Why is it important? Well, first it says it in the constitution. It says that representatives and direct taxes shall be apportioned among the states, amongst the several states, which may be included within this union, according to the respective numbers, which shall be determined by adding to the whole number of free persons, including those bound to service for a term of years and excluding Indians not taxed, three-fifths of all other person, persons. This is uh, super racist and outdated, but this is what our constitution says. And right now, this is not what uh, actually applies during the census. We count everybody, whether they, they're indigenous Indians, indigenous Native Americans, whether they are, uh, you know, African-American, everybody is counted. Obviously, the three-fifths compromise is not still into effect, and I don't think this is in the current constitution right now. But you get the idea. The census was put in the constitution. We have to do it every 10 years. Make sure to make So we make sure that we know what states have which people, and why does this matter? Because we know which states get certain congressional seats. You know, we have 315 congressional seats and they need to be apportioned properly and redistributed every 10 years as certain states grow or certain states uh, shrink and they come, they have lower populations. And so then these uh, seats get moved around. I'm going to correct you right there, Ethan. Um, we do not have 315 seats anymore. We have th- 435 um, house seats. 
right now. My bad. So as the population grew after the founding of this country, they added seats. And what's actually interesting is at the beginning, uh, in our first cent- couple censuses and at the beginning of the country, each seat in the House was worth only 30,000 votes. Later in this episode, we'll, t- we'll talk about what a current seat in the House is worth. But uh, should we get to the results? Yeah. So in 2020, we found that, as we said, our population grew from 308.7 million in 2010 to 331.4 million now. And that's 7.35% increase. And that's actually the slowest population growth ever since 1930 to 1940. And that was when the Great Depression was. And obviously, you can make, it makes sense that the Great Depression, there was a very slow uh, increase in population. But since then, we've had a lot of higher population growth compared to now. It's really worrisome that we have such a slow uh, decrease right now. So on the census, on the forms that many people signed out, um, if you're over the age of 18, you probably filled out the, the forms. It asks for not only you know your name and, and where you live, but it asks for other demographic information. Right now, currently, what the Census Bureau has released is only the population numbers and, and some other basic information. They're going to take a couple more months um, and possibly a year, probably months, to uh, calculate the rest of information, the rest of the information, and tally that up. So we're going to get the rest of the demographic data later this year. But what we know right now is the population. Through the 2020 census, we've determined which states get how many house seats. This is called apportionment, how many uh, you know uh, seats we will apportion to each state. Currently, the se- seven house seats will shift among 13 states. One state, the state of Texas, our state, will gain two seats, and five other states will gain one seat. And this is Florida, Montana, North Carolina, Oregon, and Colorado. And then the, to gain seats, other states had to lose seats. So seven states lost one seat. And these states were California, Illinois, Ohio, New York, Michigan, Pennsylvania, and West Virginia. So this is, this is pretty bad for those states because it shows that other states are growing at a faster rate than them. We also found that California, Texas, Florida, and New York are the four states that have the largest representatives, number of them. And then uh, states like North Dakota, South Dakota, Vermont, Wyoming, and Alaska are the states of the smallest representatives, only with one actually representative each. Yeah. And- so so in, in the, the Constitution, it says that each state must have at least one representative in the House. Um, I don't think many of these states would even get one representative if they weren't required to have one. Right. But that makes sense that at least every state is representative in Cong- is represented in Congress. Yes, that makes so- sense. We found that each member of the House of Representatives uh, has an average of 761,169 people based on the 2020 census. So, you know, each seat is worth that many people. Um, and obviously, it's grown up a huge amount since when the Constitution was written. Uh, it only said that uh, each seat should be worth 30,000 people. Obviously, that's how to increase or there would be way too many representatives in Congress. Looking at district sizes some more. The largest average district size is 990,000 people, almost a million people in Delaware. And the smallest average district size is 542,000 people in Montana. Uh, and this, this brings up the question, does a vote in Montana in these districts, in the smallest district, does it count more? Or is it worth more than a vote in Delaware uh, in this large district? It actually is. One vote in Montana in this district will go much farther than the vote in this Delaware district. And that brings an ethical question. Well, shouldn't all our votes be counted for the same? Right. It doesn't really make I mean, if we really uh, made all of these seats worth the same number of votes, Texas would have probably way more votes and someone like Montana would have uh, way less seats. And so it's interesting to see that uh, as states vary widely in populations, we kind of have to shift that in order to, you know, 
not give one state so much power, not give you know states with smaller populations so little power. Yes. Yeah, so what does this mean? Why is this important? Well, first, the census has allotted seats to, to different states. Um, some states are gaining seats and some states are losing seats. And the trend we've seen across the board is that states in the Midwest and in the Northeast are losing power and power is shifting to states in the West and in the South. So, for example, uh, people are leaving, leaving New York, leaving Pennsylvania, leaving you know Delaware, leaving Connecticut, and they're going to Florida, they're going to Texas, they're going to Tennessee. People are going to the South, and South, the South is getting a lot of power. Yeah, it's really interesting to see uh, this power dynamic shifting across the U.S. And then what does that practically have to do with uh, politics and the Congress? Well, it shows that a lot of the states that lost seats were mostly Democratic. Uh, and those who gain seats are more Republican. And so this gives Republicans a huge advantage in the next few congressional elections as they'll be able to control more seats. And while Democrats are able to lose or they're going to lose seats. And so this is going to shift who can control the, co- uh, the House in a few years. And of course, some of the, the influence in this country is going to be shifting to the West and the South. But we have to question how much influence is actually going to shift. And the, and the way we're going to determine that is we're going to look at the gerrymandering that occurs in the next couple of months and the redrawing of the districts. So after the apportionment, after each state is given X amount of representatives, they have to take that representative number and split the state into that amount of districts. So say Wyoming or you know Texas was given 40 uh, you know seats in the House, then they have to split it into 40 different districts. So what's going to happen is Republicans, as they've done, as they've done historically, are going to try to draw the, the district lines so they can benefit the Republican Party and they can make states swing Republican, even though they, they may represent Democrats better. And in order to gerrymander in their favor, Republicans are basically going to district a large portion of Democrats and cities uh, into one large category. They'll just, you know, put their vote all together, um, maybe to get, make their vote uh, smaller, or they can they can either do that and group them all together just to lose one seat, or they can split it up and then uh, basically give these Democrats no vote at all and put them with other Republicans who are most likely going to dominate them in uh, areas in the suburbs or the rural communities that are mostly Republican. So it's a classic strategy by Republicans that have been used uh, for really forever since uh, gerrymandering was first established. So actually a good example is where we live in Houston, Texas. Ethan and I both live in the same district. Our district is Texas District Number Five, I believe, and uh, it's what's interesting to look is this is an extremely gerrymandered district. So in the Republican primaries, thirty thousand people were registered and thirty thousand people voted. In the Democratic primaries, fifteen thousand people voted. So there are double the amount of Republicans in, in in the in the district, and because of that, the Democrat the Democratic votes don't mean as much. Right. And you, but you can also see that it's not like we're all tightly packed into one area. This district is very uh, spread out. Interest, is in a very interesting shape that doesn't really make much sense. And you can see this everywhere, really. These drawn out, weird shapes that don't make sense and have nothing to do with the actual community. And it's total gerrymandering. And Democrats realize this is happening. The actual head of the, of the National Democratic Redistricting community, uh, Committee, Kelly Ward Burton, said that the presumption that Republicans should get all of these new seats simply because they control the process is a presumption of gerrymandering. Basically saying that with all the new seats that are coming to these Republican states, by saying that, oh, they're going to automatically get these votes, that's gerrymandering because the only way they're going to get these votes is if they gerrymander them. If they, you know, in these new elections, they're going to redistrict them. Uh, that's how it's going to happen. And Republicans are able to do this because they control 
30 state legislators compared to Democrats who only control 18 legislators. And then two legislatures are, are, are split. But uh, in, in most states, the state legislature controls the, the redrawing of the lines rather than a couple states where it's an independent commission, a non-party you know party commission where both parties are involved in redrawing the lines and it's fair. When uh, it's in the control of the state legislature, they get to choose where the lines are drawn. What I predict is going to happen is that in many state legislatures, they're going to draw you know lines that may be unfavorable towards Democrats. The Democrats are going to be filing a lot of lawsuits in the coming months after these lines are redrawn. Uh, and we're going to have to wait and see what happens with these lawsuits. But another point of the census that I want to shift to before we, we, we close up is that the census also helps the federal government a lot tax revenue to each state. So by showing the federal government what percent of the population lives where, they can more properly allot taxes and resources to that area um, to better suit the, the population there. So we're going to be we're going to see more federal revenue, more f- federal uh, resources being shifted towards the west and the south as the years go on. It'll also be interesting to see. What else was collected in the census? Obviously, the census isn't just populations, you know, who lives in what state, what states grew, what states, you know, gained certain congressional seats. It's also about demographics, age, uh, gender, really anything with demographics is connect is collected in the census. It's very broad, but not, none of this data really ca- is going to come out for the next until a few months from now. And so it's interesting to see when that comes out, what shifted with the U.S.? And we're going to be seeing things like what areas um, are, you know, specifically racially undiverse. We're going to be seeing diversity levels. We're going to be seeing age levels and where they live. It'll be interesting to compare urbanization in this census compared to urbanization 10 years ago and how urban the country is. So it's going to be really interesting to be looking at these demographics. And I think we're going to make another podcast about it when the new information comes out. That concludes this week's episode of The Young Perspective. We want to thank all of you guys for listening. I know uh, this season break between season three and season four was a little bit longer. It was a week longer than we expected, but we had to make sure we got some things lined up, but now we're ready. We're going, we're going straight forward ahead, 20 episodes. This is the first one. Get ready. It's going to be the best season ever. And we would also like to announce a new initiative with the young perspective. We are starting a monthly newsletter. Uh, We're going to be featuring, featuring some of our friends as article writers. Uh, Our chief media officer, Marissa Bishop, is going to be helping us, and then she's going to be the lead on this newsletter. Um, It's going to kind of summarize episodes, but also give some supplementary information. And our first newsletter article is going out next week. Um, You can join the list on our website, theyoungperspective.net, where you can add your email to the list. Um, You can also see we're going to have a page on there with information and with the articles. So please go sign up for that. Also, make sure to check out our social media. Go to Instagram. You can check us out. Our Instagram uh, at is the underscore young underscore perspective. You can see all of our content there. It's a great way to get sums up of the episodes. And then you can also check us out on our website, as Josh said, theyoungperspective.net. Or if you have any feedback for us, you can email us at ejtheyoungperspective at gmail.com. Thank you, everybody, for listening. And remember, this was The Young Perspective.